0: Hey, Mandy. Yes, Linda. How does a mummy take their coffee?
1: I don't know, Linda. How does a mummy take its coffee?
0: They like it decaffeinated.
1: Oh my god.
0: And welcome back to Retronym, a pop culture podcast that focuses on reboot media. We're here today in a special mini episode where we will talk about the mummy. We're going to be talking about the original 1930s Boris Karloff mummy, the 1999 mummy, and the newest 2017 mummy with Tom Cruise. Now, the reason that we're doing this is because Universal Studios has recently released Dark universe which will be a series of films that will just rehash the old stories that made them famous namely the monster stories such as the mummy frankenstein dracula all of it and here to give you a little bit more backstory on the original mummy is my co-host mandy
1: so the mummy is something i think that we don't even think has a beginning it's one of those things that's just sort of impressed in our collective consciousness it's uh I mean, every Halloween costume, it's every shambling person trying to get up in the morning. But Universal Studios gave America their first taste of the ancient Egyptian curses in 1932. So we've got a pre-code mummy. Inspired by the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922 and the success of story-based pre-code monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein, Writers Nina Putnam-Wilcox and Richard Scheer found a short story with themes they reinterpreted in The Creation of the Mummy. Directed by Carl Frohn, the original story introduced filmgoers to Imhotep, who is discovered by a team of archaeologists and, as fate would have it, ends up lurching around as a result of a magic scroll. You know, one of those things you do when you're bumbling around in Egyptian is just read whatever's on the wall. So the good men of science deduce that Imhotep was buried alive since all his guts are in place, and this was a punishment for his black magic attempt to re- revive his forbidden lover, Anke Sanamun, from the dead. He escapes with the magic scroll and ends up living the sweet 1930s life as a modern Egyptian while still hunting for his girl. His double fate would have it, he spots a modern woman who bears a striking resemblance to his lost love, and he's immediately keen on romancing her mummifying her, and then bringing her back to life as the dead princess. Interestingly, her old memories of being said dead princess inspire the modern girl to invoke the goddess Isis in statue form. In a show of girls helping girls, the statue burns up the magic scroll, leaving lovelorn Imhotep to age rapidly and fall to dust. Like I said, the mummy has been a constant in the movie monster continuing, showing up in other mummy-centered romps in the 40s, hammer horror films throughout the mid-century, and then in various comics, cartoons, novels, Halloween costumes, and candy, and anytime anyone anywhere visits a museum featuring a display on ancient Egypt. I mean, you know you felt it, you turn your back on it, the National Gallery. You knew its eyes were watching you. exactly. Somehow it's always there. So, Boris Karloff's shambling gait and gaunt-eyed visage have remained the black-and-white classic standard. But that doesn't mean that the aged monster has stayed in the past.
0: I mean, the clearest example of it, I think, is the 1999 Mummy and the franchise that followed, which was, I believe, Mummy Returns and Scorpion King. I think that the 1999 Mummy was so good. It was so funny and campy, and I was just wondering, because I never actually saw it in theaters, and I saw it a couple years later when I was a kid. What was your first impression of that film?
1: I remember absolutely loving it, and obviously seeing it when I was younger, I hadn't seen the original black-and-white mummy. I mean, (laughs) that's not really something that your parents usually show you as a young kid. So it was more this... Egyptian romp and I was as most kids had an Egyptian phase so I was very much into the iconography and I you know I knew how oh they took the guts out they put them in the canopic jars like so I knew all those basics did you have a cartouche with your name of course I did I even actually had a little papyrus bookmark no (laughs) so I I love this movie and To be honest, I feel like everyone I know who watches it loves this movie. Rather than being a horror, romance, actual reincarnation story, we kind of have an intrepid librarian and her bumbling brother. We've got some American treasure hunters. We've got Brendan Fraser as O'Connell, and he's this Han Solo kind of guy. It's really an action-adventure movie you say han solo don't you mean indiana jones <laughs> the movie itself is very much like an indiana jones movie but i think that o'connell he's not actually a treasure hunter no he's not he's definitely
0: a rogue you're right yeah
1: he he's a rogue on his own we, we he's you know when we first see him he's starting out with the french foreign legion he's a military guy kind of fish out of water
0: in egypt and so funny, he he delivers the lines perfectly. I just found him hilarious the entire time. Like there was not a single scene where he didn't make me laugh. Well, it's facial expression, which is kind of an old movie technique.
1: Those very exaggerated faces. This one was definitely a pastiche of, of the original. It's um, pulling some of the terminology. The mummy's name is Imhotep. He's looking to bring his dead princess back to life. So I found that it was pretty interesting that, you know, yes, this movie is 1999, but the movie itself is not set in 1999. It tossed it back into the 20s. What did you feel that that did for the movie?
0: I think one of the big things that it did for the movie is just kind of made it fun and more removed. And it's one of those things where it feels like we were viewing it from the lens of a spectator more than the lens of a participant. It was very much one of those things that was, Oh, a long time ago in a movie far, far away. It was, you know, just kind of very fun. And it set it in a realm that's pretty unknown to a lot of people, I think. I don't think a lot of modern viewers really understand what life was like or what the area of Egypt was like in the 20s. So I thought it already from the get-go set it in sort of a land that was rather fantastic and out of the ordinary, which definitely lent itself well to the camp and the funny and just all of the weird bizarre situations that they found themselves in
1: yeah i i would totally agree that i think that it's much easier to play your comedy and play your satire if you're actually drawing on your original source if you're kind of like hey we're gonna make this look a little bit like our original setting
0: yeah and i also think that it definitely lended to evie's character as a librarian where she was definitely a source of knowledge and people couldn't go look things up on a computer or call someone up and ask their opinion you know like evie was definitely their best resource and it was very very funny to see how she wielded that knowledge throughout the whole movie
1: yeah she's a I think she's a great heroine. I think that, you hate to use the word spunky heroine, but she definitely has that. She's definitely... She's got moxie. Yeah, and part of it is she's so excited. She's thrilled. Right, by the things that they are discovering because this is something that she has studied in abstract. And that a little bit puts her in in the audience's shoes or puts the audience in her shoes where, you know, we flip through the coffee table books that show the stuff that was taken from King Tut's tomb. She's that person who's been learning to read the language. She's been trying to study the culture. She's been learning all these things. And then for her to actually touch them, see them, be attacked by them. I mean, she stays pretty resolute
0: throughout. She knows what she wants and
1: she's not afraid to go after it. What did you think about the genre blending in the movie? Like, did you feel that the comedy detracted from the action adventure portion? Did you feel like the action adventure portion took away from some of the, I think, genuinely creepy moments?
0: Honestly, there's a lot of ways that a film like this could go wrong when they blend all these genres together into like one big melting pot. But the comedy was really, really funny. And it was slapstick at times, and it was witty one-liners at other times. And the horror was, again, like you said, genuinely creepy and a little freaky. And there was that historical basis of, like, the plagues of Egypt, which feels anachronistic, but we're not getting into that. But it was weird. It was like, oh no, like, bugs. There's bugs everywhere. Like, bugs are just sort of universally creepy.
1: Yeah, I mean, those flesh-eating scarabs, seeing them under the skin. Oh yeah, gross. I have a friend who cannot watch this film because of those scarab beetles.
0: Honestly, the the special effects weren't phenomenal, but they're not so bad that they're noticeable when you're actually watching it. Those special effects have not dated this movie terribly, which is really impressive, to be honest, considering they were like putting faces in sand and making a mummy go from a shriveled mess to a kind of cute looking egyptian dude yeah i mean did you notice he basically runs around in a loincloth for most of this i mean you got to do what you got to do i did
1: notice that on my last watching i was like wow he's he's we're just getting a lot of
0: imhotep <laughs> was that when i fell asleep was <laughs> so that before or yeah. after i fell
1: asleep
0: <laughs> hey mandy <laughs> Yes, Linda? Why are mummies afraid to go on vacation? I don't know, Linda. Why are mummies afraid to go on vacation? (sighs) Because they're scared to unwind. Oh my god. (laughs) They're scared to (laughs) unwind.
1: So my last talking point that I would say about the ninety nine mummy is and I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that when it came out in ninety nine, it was intended as a standalone film. I think that its popularity actually made the studio create the sequels afterwards. If nothing else, even if they had kind of had a franchise planned in their minds, I think that the, mum- the mummy stands alone. And doesn't seem to be hinting at any
0: kind of sequels. It's really supposed to be that singular film. I don't mind the next couple of movies because they're so absurd and ridiculous. And we are introduced to Dwayne the Rock Johnson as, I believe he was the Scorpion King? He was the Scorpion King. Oh, man. (laughs) We got a lot of Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the Scorpion King. Speaking of men, we get a lot of... But I think you're right. I think that the franchise definitely evolved from the fact that it was so well received and beloved. Like everyone loves the 99 mummy. It's just one of those films that people go back to when they want a good time, when they want to laugh and when they want to like see Brandon Fraser make adorable faces. It's just funny. It's just a good time. And I think that one of the things that I really liked about this film was the fact that Rachel Weisz as Evie and Brendan Fraser as O'Connell had a lot of chemistry just on screen. And I think that was really important to the success of this film. Do you think that The Mummy would have been as successful if the romance had been flat or if the lines hadn't delivered right? I definitely think that
1: on-screen chemistry played a lot into the popularity of the movie. It's not a shove-down-your-throat love story there are other relationships rather than just a love story. We see Evie interacting with Jonathan, her brother. We see quippy lines going on there. We have Benny, our on again, off again, good guy, bad guy friend out for himself, lending himself to repeating gags with O'Connell. All of the lines, like you said, are delivered very snappily. Everything has chemistry. And watching Evie and O'Connell's relationship grow in respect and shared danger to their lives feels funny. It feels natural. And the big kiss at the end does give it that old Hollywood. And because we are setting it back in the 20s and playing with that idea of an old movie, we want to see that at the end.
0: It's very cute. It's so sweet.
1: The hero gets the girl. The heroine gets the guy. Jonathan turns away and kisses the camel.
0: I mean, at the end of it, you're just like, you're just happy. You're just like, yeah, that was a good movie. Nice job, everyone. <laughs> like, congrats, Evie. Congrats, O'Connell. Like, you guys, you guys did a good thing. You should just, you know, rest for a minute. Like, we like it. It's tied up, you know? It's a tight film.
1: So, as we said... The Mummy turned into The Mummy Returns, which did turn into The Scorpion King, which wasn't there another Scorpion King movie even, potentially? I don't remember. I don't (laughs) don't know.
0: (laughs) I I stopped watching. I will admit.
1: Well, because everyone gets tired of a franchise. uh, A lot of times you lose original players. The storylines get silly. So The Mummy kind of fell off of the radar for a bit. Until being resurrected this year for another movie named The Mummy. In this setup, we have our main character, Nick Morton, played by Tom Cruise as an anti-hero character of a different cut than O'Connell in the 99 movie. This movie is set in current day, introducing the characters in the midst of the conflict in Iraq, finding an Egyptian burial site seemingly out of place in one of these insurgent strongholds
0: so this movie came out a couple weeks ago and it was sort of going head to head against wonder woman and wonder woman won it just it effectively decimated the box office and the mummy was sort of left in the dust it was also badly received by critics no one really was telling anyone else to go see this film uh the marketing really wasn't there either but For some reason, Mandy and I decided, you know, why don't we go see The Mummy? Just on a random Sunday afternoon. And I have to say, I didn't hate it.
1: I hate to admit that I didn't hate it either. Uh, It definitely was not what I would consider a good movie. I found that the ending utterly fell apart. But while I was actually watching it, particularly the action scenes... I found them to be summer action movie quality.
0: Yeah, I mean it was compelling. They were in helicopters and they were on they were on large planes and there was some zombie subplot happening that was really funny in its own way. It's it's very hard to explain, but let's go through the basic plot of The Mummy 2017 starring Tom Cruise. Spoilers ahead. So our mummy in this film is a little bit different than our high priest Imhotep
1: that we've got in our classic 1932 and then our pastiche 1999. In this mummy we're given a princess, Aminette, who is her father's sole heir and she clearly likes this role. She's definitely someone who is ambitious, who doesn't seem to enjoy much beyond the fact that she is going to rule all of Egypt until her father takes a new wife and then a baby boy comes into the picture. Aminette, since she is our villain, takes matters into her own hands to make sure that she will rule Egypt and potentially everywhere else. By entering into a pact with the dark god Set. Then heading off to murder her family.
0: So after she murders her family, which includes her father, his wife actually died in childbirth but she takes she takes the next step and she actually kills her little baby brother so after that you know no redemption for this hero and she's trying to complete a ritual where the god set will actually enter into the body of another man and they will rule together it's not really very clear so very ambitious, very driven, a, a villain that's really not very redeemable, but a villain that you can sort of get behind because they're not really that complicated. You know, they want to destroy everything and rule the world. It's not a big deal. Every, everyone could just accept that as a, as a good villain. A plus villainy.
1: It's kind of refreshing.
0: Sometimes have a villain who's just bad. Who's, who's just bad and doesn't really have like a complicated backstory to go along with it. Like, you know, she just wants to rule the world. What's wrong with that? What is so wrong
1: with that? One of our most amoral characters on the screen, Nick Morton, is the one who ends up bringing her back to life, back to the world of the living-ish, um, and all hell breaks
0: loose. Literally. So because she was interrupted during the ritual to bring Set back, she decides that Nick Morton is the chosen one. And it's sort of a nice twist of fate and a nice twist of the story. Instead of being the chosen one chosen to save the world, he's the chosen one chosen to end it. So basically she is chasing Nick around trying to find a dagger and a special like battery stone and put them up both together so she could stab and kill Nick and let Set come forth. So it's a pretty derivative plot. It's not anything super special or unique, but it's very fun. I found myself really enjoying the horror aspects. I found myself enjoying the way that she moved in particular was very creepy and weird. I really liked the way that she manipulated Uh, Nick Morton what she did is she created like this surreal second world like a vision that he would sort of enter into and I thought that that was one of the strengths of the film this weird surreal cutscenes and the visions that he was experiencing so we've talked about things that we actually enjoyed the things that should have made this a summer
1: popcorn action movie and everything was set up there for it to succeed as just that if nothing else So why didn't it work?
0: Uh, The love story was shit.
1: (laughs) The love story was pretty terrible. It was not made of any kind of chemistry. Uh, Jenny, not a poor character in and of herself, but the actress had literally no chemistry with Tom Cruise.
0: And she had so few facial expressions. It was like awe, wonder, and then worry, but they sort of all combined to be the same expression of sort of slack-jawed, open, wide-eyedness. It was very odd. Yeah, and there, was, there seemed to be no love story early on
1: until the very, very end. The final motivation for Nick was suddenly love. And while it's true that we were presented with Nick as an amoral person, this is a thief. This is someone who will manipulate other people to get what he wants, making him potentially the ideal host for Set. Obviously, he is our hero. He is our antagonist. Or our protagonist, rather than our antagonist. So, yeah, we want to see him find something in this world to protect rather than himself. But love?
0: But it wasn't done well. It just, it wasn't done well. It would have been better if he was just trying to save her because she was another human being and she deserved to live. If even he had achieved that level of morality, I would have been happy with him at the end of the film sacrificing himself to save her.
1: Right. And it was very unclear also what he was doing. That was my problem. <laughs> I got to the end of the movie and I'm like, all right, I'm following, I'm following. Okay, I'm lost.
0: Right. Basically, for those of you who are also lost, Uh, Nick is being chased through the streets of London by Aminette, and he's sort of dragging Jenny along with him. And this is after they've escaped from an evil organization of extra atypical people where Aminette was being held to be studied. And so now they're running around London, and it seems like Jenny is just getting shaken off at, like, every turn, and then she keeps showing up, which is bizarre. So he's trying to find the magical battery stone in order to destroy it. So the ritual can't be complete and Aminet might die again. Confusing and all of this happening in the last 30 minutes. So at the end of the film, it's Nick, Amanette, and Jenny, and they're all sort of in this crypt and it's been revealed that Jenny has drowned and Amanette tells him you could bring her back. I can give you the power of life over death. And he just has this weird moral compunction not to die. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's really bizarre because he died before earlier in the movie and she brought him back to life, which we failed to mention because it's just so bizarre, <laughs> which throws another wrench in the whole machine. Wasn't he already sacrificed? Can he die a second time? Anyway, bonkers. It it really just, like, the last 30 minutes of the movie was just odd. Just so, so odd.
1: Yeah, the, the love compulsion, like you said, was really, really ridiculous. I would say that really the biggest failing in the movie and why it really didn't work is because it was so obviously setting up the Dark Universe franchise. I think that that absolutely bogged down the film in... Double exposition because we had our exposition with explaining. All right, this is who Nick is. Uh, this is who Amanette is. Now we need to be introduced to the prodigium, this organization very similar to well a million organizations in film and literature who study and catalog the supernatural, uh, headed up by Dr. Henry Jekyll. So there we have our other little infusion of movie monsterdom. We see several items in their headquarters a sea monster looking arm a vampire skull clearly this is setting up for something that's going to be bigger later on and not later on in this film but later on in this series and trying to get us as the audience to concentrate on that for a little bit when really we just want to see what the mummy is doing
0: honestly that's that's it i just want to see aminette break things and kind of be a badass the whole time because there was this really cool scene where she breaks free of her chains and she's starting to go through london and she screams out the sands of egypt i command you to come forth and all of the glass breaks in london and forms sand and i was like that's super lame but super cool that's really so cool And it was just and that's like, that's, of course, when the face in the sand comes in. And it's just like, it's very derivative. And it's, it pays a lot of homage to the 1999 mummy and the mummy that came before that even. But it's really interesting. And it could have been great. It really could have been great. And it was just really disappointing that it wasn't.
1: Yeah, it basically just seemed like pulling together some threads of old things that you'd seen before. It was a retread of old themes rather than going into new territory. And I think because they were so focused on setting up for the dark universe that they didn't allow this movie to just kind of live and breathe on its own.
0: Yeah, it was very claustrophobic because it was definitely stuffed into this box of, oh, this is going to be part of a much larger franchise. Hope you're ready buckle up, you know? It was just one of those things where it felt like I was going to be forced to watch a lot of movies I didn't want to watch. And I wanted to know if you thought that the comedy was sort of in the same vein as the 1999 Mummy or if it was a different, more modern comedy and if it worked or not.
1: The comedy I'm I'm kind of torn. Setting it in modern time, obviously, you can't quite do the level of slapstick that you can do when you're playing around as they were in the 99 film. The comedy in this movie tended to be more of those muttered comments under your breath to the person next to you, which are very real. It's definitely kind of the comments that you and I were muttering to each other throughout the film, (laughs) Um, which is a very realistic modern comedy, but the movie didn't seem like it was quite sure if it wanted to go too far with the comedy or if it wanted to pull it back. It was very confused with Are we are we serious about this? Are we are we being funny? Is any part of this situation funny? As we said, the 99 Mummy didn't take itself too seriously. Obviously, it focused on the comedy, but this one. I don't know. I, I mean, they wanted to have comedy.
0: Yeah, that was very clear with the inclusion of Sergeant Vail. Yeah, Vail was a
1: great comedy character. Jake Johnson's delivery of all of his lines and just the way that they included him throughout the film. Um, he had good chemistry with Tom Cruise. Right, and
0: that's the thing. Like, <laughs> Tom Cruise wasn't really the problem with this movie, you know? He just, he, he delivered a very passable job as an aging asshole maybe that's because he is (laughs) yeah i didn't feel like i was watching
1: tom cruise a lot of his films i feel like you're very very aware the entire time that you're watching tom cruise
0: yeah which again one of the reasons why it could have been a good film like he wasn't a bad call for this role which is just frustrating when the last 30 minutes really just unwound the entire plot oh my god I wanted to know as we as we sort of wrap this up, I wanted to know if you had any (laughs) if you had any predictions (laughs) for the dark universe and sort of uh, what that will mean for us in the future as as we go forward with these large production companies making other production companies to push individual franchises.
1: Well, as you said before, you got the feeling that you were going to be forced to watch a lot of movies that you weren't really interested in. And that's kind of the prediction that I would make for these. If The Mummy is any indication, then they're not really looking to either really reproduce what made the original monster movies great. And they're also not really looking how to make these things new. And it was really cool to have a female character in this but that was about the only thing that they really changed you say female character you mean the female villain sorry the female mummy giving us not just high priest imhotep giving us this angry princess brought back to life so looking at the list looking at you know the invisible man and looking at bride of frankenstein some of these themes you need to play with if you're going to update them like i don't think that they did a particularly good job of giving us a modern jekyll and hyde it was pretty much
0: it was standard it was very standard
1: yeah it was a 19th century eddie and henry and not anything new
0: so maybe they'll learn i'm really curious about what they're going to do to make bride of frankenstein fresh and modern like i can't see it I just can't even picture it in my mind because that doesn't even have a lot of source material. It just has like that film. It's it's not even based on anything that Mary Shelley wrote. It's just, oh, yeah, like, let's keep the the Frankenstein franchise going. Let's do Bride of Frankenstein. It's just like, how are you going to make that fun? It's impossible to say. I mean, maybe
1: they'll learn from this one and they'll see that they need to step it up in terms of, breathing new life into these old musty monsters
0: yeah they really need to uh get the dust out of the vault uh, what do you call a mummy who wins the lottery i don't
1: know what do you call a mummy that wins the lottery a lucky stiff On that note, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. And hopefully we've given you some food for thought. I mean, hey, if you have nothing better to do on a Sunday afternoon and you and your best friend are feeling a little punchy after brunch, sure, go check out The Mummy. If you're looking for a real quality horror movie or even action movie, maybe turn your attention somewhere
0: else. All right. This is Retronym. And we want to remind you to reboot, reuse, and recycle. Remember to rate and subscribe, and we will talk to you next time about Spider-Man. Hey, Mandy. Yes, Linda? What did the director say at the end of the Mummy movie? I don't know, Linda. What did the director say at the end of the Mummy movie? That's a wrap.
1: I hate you.